0: Hmm. Recorded live. Well, hello. this is Michael Adams. Nothing but the truth. One man's journey to find it. It's, it's April the 1st, April Fool's Day, eh? <laughs> 2015. Um, I hope everyone's having a good time with April Fool's Day. Um, I won't be doing any April Fool in this show. Um, what we are going to do is tr- uh, make a third attempt to try to do uh, Dispensationalism, Part 1. I tried last night, but I was just too exhausted. Um, but anyways, uh, I think what we'll do, uh, so first of all, uh, the main study will come out of uh, GraceOnlineLibrary.org, Dispensationalism, A Return to Biblical Theology or Pseudo-Christian Cult, Part 1 by Gospel Plow. Um, at the end, we'll be listening to a video on YouTube called "Israel's uh, Israelis Torturing Non-Jewish Children, 2014 Australian Documentary Film, Viewer's Discretion. Well, you won't have to see any of it. There will be uh, times when uh, folks will be talking in uh, either Yiddish, I guess, or Hebrew or whatever it is, and then also um, uh, folks, uh, I guess, Arabic. Um, before I get started, though, I want to read a couple uh, articles from Dave Nicaio, by the way, it's his birthday today. Uh, he has an excellent website called ChristianityPolice.com, and uh, I highly recommend that you look at his work. If you haven't noticed, I read, I read a lot of his <laughs> articles and his stuff from his website and from his uh, Facebook page. Anyways, this uh, was posted, looked like today. Well, anyways, it uh, has a headline here in 2002, what they said about the U.S. going to war in Iraq. And then it has a picture of Bibby. Netanyahu, uh, and he says this, it uh, looks like, well, first is a Kurt Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and quotes, if you take out Saddam, Saddam's re- regime, I guarantee you that it will have enormous positive rem- uh, reverberations on the region, and then uh, it has uh, uh, Syrians, Protestant uh, President Assad and he says the war on Iraq will end in a quagmire with uh, the regions worse off worst off and the whole world will have to extricate you from it and um, I think he is referring to the United States or NATO or all parties involved anyways this is uh Jan Fearing, looks like, that you'll find on Dave's Facebook page. And as I mentioned, it's his birthday, so happy birthday, Dave. Heck of a day to have a birthday. Um so he says this, so when you stand with Israel, are you standing with King Saul or David? Ahab or Elijah? Are you standing on the shores? with the Pharisees or are you in the river with John the Baptist? Are you judging seats with Herod or with the criminal Jesus? To bless Israel has nothing to do with unquestioningly following what political leaders in Israel might tell you. In fact, they may lead you into supporting unrighteousness as they so often have in history. Israeli leaders, even Netanyahu, are humans after all. There's this quote here looks from um, The Guardian, leaked spy cables, Netanyahu. Quote Israelis' intelligence agency, and if you uh, haven't paid any attention to the show, a few weeks ago we discovered that ISIS stands for Israeli Secret Intelligence Service. <laughs> Anyways, Israelis' intelligence agency uh, concluded that Iran was not performing the activity necessary to produce weapons. The report uh, highlights the gulf between the public claims and the rhetoric of the top Israeli politicians and the assessments Of Israelis or Israel's military and intelligence establishment, the ultimate proof of this uh, prophet, of a prophet, is whether or not he is what he says comes true. I used to believe and support everything Netanyahu said and did, but I don't anymore because what he promised and what he guaranteed simply hasn't come to pass. In fact, he has been dreadfully, murderously 180 degrees wrong. Of course, it's probably not a very valid to compare Netanyahu with a prophet, but needless to say, the guy lied to us. <laughs> to get, obviously, to get us involved in their uh, unrighteous war that they're in. Um, okay, where are we at? listen to whom you wish but no 13 years ago when he gave congress his advice he said this he came in 2002 to congress and said there is no question whatsoever that saddam has nuclear weapons and the war in the works he also guaranteed that if we look out uh, saddam if that if we look out Saddam, it would be i don't understand that I mean. if we took out i think it supposed to be took out Saddam, um, it would be have enormous positive rever uh re, re, <staffing> reverberations reverbcations uh throughout the region uh excuse me throughout the um the region. Now we know both statements were completely wrong. Hundreds of thousands of Iraqis dead, and that's it's, uh, it's more like a million plus, actually. Um, 5,000 Americans dead, or that's more than that, actually. Twelve years of bloody war, um, Iraq completely destabilized, dysfunctional, no weapons of mass destruction, virtually all Christians gone or dead, Uh, more uh, terrorists now than ever before and they are better financed better trained better equipped than ever before Um, other reverberations
1: other reverberations
0: excuse me on the region include Libya and the hands of Islamist gangs Yemen and total chaos Egypt, having barely survived the Arab Spring, Syria, fate still to be decided. But hey, Israel is prosperous, oops, I mean safe. Now, regarding Iran, he also guaranteed to the UN that Iran would have weapons-grade enrichment by the summer 2012. The truth is, according to the recent report, compiled by the IAEA from 16 intelligence services, including the CIA, it appears that Iran dropped their weapons program in 2003. The whole Iranian nuclear threat, I believe, is a powerful ruse being used to spur us against Iran to continue to weaken the Levant, the whatever, bloomberg.com anyways uh, yeah that's something to think about now isn't it? there is significant evidence coming out and Israeli sources and confirmed by the UN that Netanyahu is aiding and abetting the jihadists in the Golan remember the great moderate moderates who kidnapped uh, the UN peacekeepers twice and al-Nusra, who are al-Qaeda in Syria, and appears that Israeli companies are pushing ISIS oil as are EU companies. Amazing, isn't that? Isn't that amazing? Not really, once you realize that ISIS stands for Israeli Secret Intelligence Service, and that, you know what, they're using these goons, along with Rome to get rid of the uh Christians in the area because most of them aren't Roman Catholic. Did you know that? And that uh, they're using these goon squads. Um and interesting that America, once again, the largest military base they ever created in in Iraq, are being run by a bunch of private mercenaries controlled
1: by Knights of Malta and Rome. And then you got
0: Israel in the mix and all of this. That's controlled by Rome. Meanwhile, though Iran's Shiite radicalism has not gained any significant ground in decades, our uh, buddies in Saudi Arabia, Turkey, and Qatar, Qatar with many thanks to alliances with the U.S., the EU, and Israel. Don't forget NATO and all that. Of course, they never talk about any of that, do they? Just blame everything on America, or you know, say that America is, goodness gracious, have uh, spread their uh, malignant cancer of terrorism around the region and the world. So where do I stand? Sorry, not with not Netanyahu, no. It's no more anti Semitic to question his policies than it is racist to question Obama's. I thought that was a nice and thoughtful um article, I thought, at least. Uh let's see. Then there's another one here. Apparently uh, what's his name again? That pastor in Arizona, that Baptist has all those other videos coming out. These affiliated with Alex Jones. he got no one coming out. March of Zion, the Illuminati Rothschild Zionism exposed. Um, so many Americans have been deceived by the Zionist movement, believing that it was God's work. And, of course, they're going to tie it in with, with uh, Rothschilds and... Uh, of course, they're not going to mention Rome and all this, but I will. So many Americans have been deceived by the Zionist movement, believing that it was God, God at work. This video is about an upcoming documentary that will expose the satanic end times deception. Uh, we must be vigilant because our enemy is crafty. Please share this video. God bless. Stay vigilant and fear no evil marching to Zion and um, what is his name well I'm going to go to there real fast and see it because it's what's it, Pastor. pastor everyone knows once I mentioned his name everyone knows. I can't believe I forgot his name well there's a lot of things about him that are not quite right. oh Steve Anderson uh, faith, your word, Baptist church. Uh, you know, he's much more progressive than a lot of uh, these dispensational uh, Baptists, and uh, a lot of these independent ones. Uh, he's a little bit too uh, hardcore for my liking, but we shall see what he has to say. I'm sure it's not going to be fully accurate. He's not going to connect well with any of this, but... And at least if he can wake up people enough to realize that supporting the state of Israel is, is nothing, is nothing biblical at all. It says P.S. I don't believe in replacement theology, which is mentioned in this video. Uh, the, the narrative of the redemption of mankind has never changed. It was offered to the Israelites, then Jews first, then it expanded to all nations. Nothing has been replaced. Jews and Gentiles are one in the new covenant. Quote, just as Abraham believed uh, God, and it was accounted for him for righteousness. Therefore, now that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached preached the gospel
2: to Abraham
0: uh, beforehand, saying, quote, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And so then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Galatians 3, verses 9 through, 6 through 9. I can't be more clear. Abraham's spiritual descendants, those who believe by faith in the atoning works of Yahshua slash jesus are god's chosen people the sons of god who have been blessed who have blessed the earth with the gospel and of course he's talking about this new documentary that steve anderson's kind of come out with hey anyway to wake people up i don't agree with a lot of things that steve anderson does or stands for i think he uh I think it's a question about a lot of things he's saying, but I don't know, for whatever it's worth. Now, we talked about, he mentioned this thing called, I don't know how many of you have ever heard this, of replacement theology. So I'm going to look at so somebody else has to say about re- replacement theology. This would be uh, Matt Slick. Now, Matt Slick is a, Calvinist. There's a lot of things about Matt that I don't like. Yes, I've been using them as far as explaining the Trinity and some of the basics of Christianity. I think he does a halfway decent job of that. There's still things about this guy that just aren't right. And um, anybody that's a Calvinist, that's a string Calvinist, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be on your side 100%. There's no way. Any more than I would be in a lot of other groups. I mean, there's Calvinists out there, there are these uh, few these uh, dispensational Baptists out there that I don't want anything to do with, these pro-Zionists or, or Christian Zionists, you know, whether Baptists or all these independent, uh, supposedly non-denominational churches out there, I'm not going to support. So far, I haven't been able to find anything. Yeah, and if, the, the argument will be is that, well, you know, there's you can't find a perfect church, and that's Seems to be the case. You got people involved, but when they have they're, they're preaching things that are so off base, like Christian Zionism, or dispensational futurism, or um, uh, knocking or saying call this replacement theology, just examples of it, or even predestination. You know, there's, there's extreme. Calvinism, hyper Calvinism, Calvinism for certain. I am not for could to be predestination, and why not? But I don't know for hundred percent for sure. I don't know. I mean, God knows all things. So, but outside of that, man has a few things that are just not quite on bar on board. But then again, who is? Who has everything right? I certainly don't. I'm, this is my journey to try to figure it all out. Uh, anyways, this is what Matt has to say about what is replacement theology. Replacement theology is the teaching that Christian churches has replaced national Israel regarding the plan, purpose, and promise of God. Therefore, many of the promises that God made to Israel must be spiritualized. For example, when it speaks of Israel being restored to the land, well, we're... Now, of course, it's now going back in the Old Testament. Way back in the Old Testament. <laughs> this really means that the Christian church will be blessed. Also, covenants made with Israel are fulfilled in the Christian church. So, for example, the Jewish people are no longer God's chosen people. Instead, the Christian church now makes up the God's chosen people. And, you know, listen, people who believe in Jesus Christ, let's put it that way, who believe in what Jesus said and put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I see. You know, call it Israel or not, it really doesn't make a difference to me. Um, some people it does. But we're going to see some of the flimsy evidence that he has to throw at us to justify what's going on as far as the state of Israel. Uh, the New Testament after Pentecost, the term Israel refers to the church. Now the Mosaic Covenant in Exodus 22 is replaced with New Covenant Luke 22-20. The actual circumcision is replaced by the circumcision of the heart in Romans 2:29. So, in replacement theology the church has replaced israel as the primary means by which the world is blessed by god's work though it is true that the church does replace israel in some areas such as properly representing god on earth acknowledging the promises of the messiah etc it is not biblical to say now this is his this is what he's saying now it is not biblical to say that god is completely done with israel That the Christian Church is is complete, and then he uses uh, Romans 11 verses 25 and 26. We're going to go to that, by the way. Some replacement theologians would teach that any mention of Israel after Acts chapter two's Pentecost would be referring to the Christian Church, but above Scripture cannot be used to support the idea. Uh, nor can it be used to support your idea either, Mr. Slick. Pretty slick. Yes, you are, but you're not that slick. In fact, it plenty contradicts it. Obviously, God is not done with Israel. Okay, so now we've got to make the, decision, the determination of what it means, Israel. And does it have anything to do with geography? And it should say there in Romans eleven, twenty-five to twenty-six, it has something to do with a landmass, geography, right? The text tells us that God had hardened Israel, but it also tells us that disheartening, that, disheart, that disheartening is temporary. And uh, I have there's no, first of all, indications that that this. Uh, this te- disheartening, as he calls it, is temporary. It's now been 2,000 years almost. I would not call that temporary by any stretch of the imagination. Replacement theology is also known as super uh, sen- uh, sh- sensationism. that's what it is. Super sensationism. Okay. Which means that the Christian church has superseded Israel in God's plan. So, of course, he doesn't do a very good job explaining what Israel is, did he? But this is the, these are the two verses that he uses to justify, and I'm sure there's more out there. Most of our Old Testament verses that seem to have been fulfilled with Christ. But it says here, uh, you know, Romans, two, and I'm not going to use this, ver- this version, I'm going to use the King James Version, 25, 26, and 4. I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness is part is per, it, in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Okay, so we hear this that this blindness is talking is talking about this blindness that of Israel. Now, if we look at it, this is it about a nation? it's about a geography or a group of people? And there's overwhelming evidence that the people over there in Israel are not the true Jews in any way, shape, or form. Majority of them don't have, in fact, from the genetic testing they've done, they figure that up to 93 or more percent do not have any of this, quote, unquote, Israeli blood in them. So we could throw that one out, can't we? Based on that right now. It says, And all and so all Israel shall be saved. Okay, being saved is not the same thing as creating the state of Israel, is it? You and I who are believers in Jesus Christ are saved and our faith in him, he saves us, and it does not matter geography nationality bloodlines what does Jesus talk about it talks about genealogy and we're not supposed to take it seriously anymore right so here we are this guy is twisting scripture it's terrible everyone you know what they'll do anything I don't understand I've come to a point now that at just about every guy who calls himself a pastor uh, a theologian An apologist, uh, a a Christian, um, doesn't seem to really value truth. What they value is their status and their position. That's the only thing that I seem to recognize at this point. But we go back to this. Okay, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall return away. It shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So let's go back to this. So this is twenty six, and you. Make heads and tails if you want, but let's put it this way. And so all of Israel shall be saved as it is written, and there shall come out of Zion the deliverer. And, and, okay, who's this deliverer? Come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Not, so I'm reading 9 now I'm in 28 now, because one of the things I notice is you got to read a little more a lot of times. Concerning the gospel, that they are enemies for your sake, but as touching this, the election, they are our beloved from the Father's for the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. The depth of the richness, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, his ways, path, and finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or hath been his counselor? And who hath first given him, or... It shall be recompensed unto him again, for of him, and through him, and to him, and all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Okay, we'll go back and we'll look at a few verses ahead of this. And boast not. This is eighteen. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the roots, but but the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then. The branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. Thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. But if God support not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, goodliness and severity of God unto them which fell, severity, but towards them God's goodly goodness, if thou continueth in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not till in unbelief, and shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them again. Now, what I'm seeing is is not anything about creating a new nation. What I'm seeing is is that it, it eventually... Israel, the Jews, the true Jews, the true Israel, whatever you want to call them, you know, the the people of God from thousands of years ago. And is that happening already? Hasn't that been happening for the past 2,000 years that many Jews have come to the Lord
1: who accepted Jesus Christ for who he is? Okay, uh, 24...
0: For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, were grafted contrary to nature in the good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be of natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? That was 24. So, look, I don't see anything about a nation. What I see is that a lot of these, what about Israel's? Israelis, Jews, whatever, would come to the Lord. I don't see anything about reestablishing a country called Israel in the Middle East and reestablishing a third temple. What I see going on there is satanic to its core, and you and I have no business supporting it. A place. Well, by the way, you know how difficult it is to proselyte, to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Israel? It's not much more easier there than it is in the rest of the Middle East. I think this is bogus. This is all a bunch of mind games. Come straight to Satan. People are buying in it left and right. Please, would someone please listen to this recording and you please deliver me the verses that say that the state of Israel was supposed to be reestablished in the last days. Give me the verses. Not some man's commentary or some man's sermon who practices dispensationalism, who was got his education from the Dallas Seminary whatever. Seminary, whatever it is, don't 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 give me this, you know, half-hearted, half-baked nonsense. Give me the Word of God. Where is it that it says that, it's, that the nation-state of Israel was supposed to be established? I'm not trying to be a jerk. I really want to know the truth.
1: But the behavior
0: that I'm seeing over there. That uh, blue hexagram, um, the fact that uh, most of those people are Talmudic Jews, rabbinical Talmudic Jews, that uh, most of them don't even have an ounce of blood, uh, Jewish blood in them. I'm sorry, this is an amazing deception, and there's no way I can support it until somebody definitely explains to me in Scripture, the Word of God, that this, what we're witnessing over in the Middle East is something of God. Until then, I have to go with the argument that this is a Jesuitical slash... I don't even know. It's, 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 it's either, I see Rome in the tip of the pyramid of this whole nonsense, and I see them basically using these people to take, take over the Middle East. They've done a
1: masterful job doing it.
0: Anyways, now, why, go, why talk about those things when we're talking about dispensationalism? Well, there's amazing connections to it now, isn't there? Now, let's go back to this article. Maybe this time I'll be able to finish it. <clears throat> Um, but I and not get a halfway decent recording. And then we still got a long ways to go with dispensationalism because, man, there are so many aspects to it, so many layers of deception to it that there's only one way of dealing with it, and that's to deal with it, honestly. And unfortunately, I mean, I just listened to a guy and somebody recommended me to um, a Baptist pastor, I guess. I don't know where he's located. His name is Lawson. His last name Lawson. He's supposed to be, quote, unquote, an old school Baptist. Well, he's not an old school Baptist because he's a dispensationalist. And they don't make you an old Baptist, old school Baptist. And we're going to learn about this in this article. Anyway, the very first thing he said is is how proud he was for being a dispensationalist. It's supposed to be about grace and he talked about everything but grace. I have to tell you this. And I'm not knocking first person that shared me this. I do believe that he had good intentions. I think he was trying to chastise me and scold me at the same time, but I think he failed miserably on it. But that doesn't well, maybe I should read it. What the heck? I got nothing else better to do. I going maybe have my son for the next week and a half. I'll read it. I know he might feel that I'm betraying him, but I'm not mentioning any names. Not mentioning any names.
1: So he says this uh, great
0: sermon on grace of God by Pastor Charles Lawson, grace of God, full sermon, YouTube. So I, I, you know, I, I listen to it. I'm willing to listen to other people. Sometimes they have something good to say, you know, something to share. And I said, uh, I said, hey, I'll listen to it, you know. I'll listen to it, and what did I say exactly? I can't remember what I said. Oh, I like Spurgeon myself, but I'll check. I will check it out. Okay. He says, I love the preaching and writing of Spurgeon. Charles Lawson is old-time, uh, dispensationist fundamental Baptist. Now, I hope you realize when you get done with the study that being a dispensationalist does not equal old-time Baptists. It doesn't. Very end, that's another deception in all this. I know you do not like those guys, but give this old preacher a chance. I think he is wonderful. The old preachers I used to know well taught me that orthodoxy is still orthodoxy, no matter who teaches it, Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, even uh, charismatic Catholics. Well, I'm sorry. Charismatic Catholics do not teach orthodoxy. Good grief. Have mercy on me. And, you know, Pentecostals, that's really questionable. And Methodists and Baptists have really been hit hard the past 100 years, have really been infiltrated big time by the Jesuits. Oh, my goodness. It's a tragedy, actually. Real tragic. Methodists have been shot for a long time. They are you know a lot of these see what happened a lot of these- uh churches that came out of the Reformation you know let's think about what this Reformation and that was their reformers they wanted to reform the Catholic Church and since they couldn't reform the church, they decided to create their own churches and um you know a lot of these so you look at the Lutherans and you look at the Methodists and all that, and they're you know they're just one degree of separation from the bat from the Rome, Roman Catholicism, I mean, they're really, yeah, you know, most of them do preach about grace, but then they still mix in a lot of works, and charismatic Catholicism, that is one of the most wackiest, one of the most insidious of things they've ever ever created, by the way, the Jesuits created it, masterful plan of their own, someday we'll talk about that got to talk about all these things, don't we? The Pentecostal move, too. What happened to them, you know? Their roots. Maybe uh, Ryan would be willing to talk to us about that sometime because he came out of it. Yeah, if it sounds like I'm really against uh, most of the church today, as far as the uh, corporate church, the organization itself, yeah, I really have. <laughs> I'm really disenchanted and really disappointed. Doesn't make me better than anybody else in those churches. The difference is I just been doing my homework and doing my homework and putting the pieces together. It's just really devastating. By the mercy and grace of God, go I. And although I would love to be part of a group because it is a lonely journey, but if being part of the group means that I have to sacrifice God's truths, His truths, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. Just won't do it. I'm sorry. It doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. It's just i I really my faith is in Jesus Christ, it's not in men in men's organization It's just not going to happen so anyways, in fact, you should applaud the revelation of Holy Spirit in these in their life uh
1: Uh, no, I'm not going to do that.
0: I've met way too many people who had personal revelations through the Holy Spirit. Not a single one of them came true. Nothing. Not a one. I don't think that it's the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost of God that these people are listening to.
1: Any more than Alan G. White was listening to the Holy Spirit or Joseph Smith. Oh, Pope Francis! Unless
0: you prove me wrong, I'm gonna go with the safe bet. I'm sorry. Even if they start out a little off, as long as they're reading the Bible, no, 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 no. that's not true. Just because they're reading the Bible doesn't mean they're actually reading it and preaching it. truth that's in it. There's an awful lot of people that quote-unquote read the Bible and then they just twist the scriptures. And praying the truth will find them because the Lord loves us and is long-suffering and he really likes and expects a humble and contrite heart. God bless. Okay. Okay. Well, I think I demonstrated that I had a humble and contrite heart because I was willing to listen to your video. Now, having a humble and contrite heart does not mean I'm supposed to be gullible and to unite and error. We're not going to do that. So anyways.
1: I, just, I responded
0: to them because I did listen to it. I, I do listen to most people, what they said. If they send me an email, I, I get, get around them doing it. Sometimes I don't respond to them, but it's not because I'm not paying attention or listening to anybody. Well, this is what I said. Well, I watched the video. I have to say that Lawson's message on grace was a little mixed up. (laughs) He started with singing his own praise about being a dispensationalist, which is completely unbiblical. His message on grace was good. His argument about walking with God is experiential and that intellectual is very disingenuous. Or it's supposed to be is supposed to be is disingenuous but very there. God gave us that's what God gave us a brand of the Bible for a reason. And you know, what am I getting about there? Well the first of all if you uh, as being a Mormon and being an AA and being an in, in a new age thing and living my life the experiential, having an experiential experience I can tell you right now it's a very deadly approach to go by this is what Lawson was preaching he was trying to tell the folks that it's supposed to be experiential now, God gave us a brain in the Bible for a reason to defend ourselves against false experiences deceitful deceitful experiences
1: Hence, if that wasn't the case, why have the Bible?
0: Hey, you don't just you know trial and error, you know experience. This is good. This is bad. I figured it out. Experience. It's a terrible way to go. I can tell you that, folks. If you have not already gone through that yourselves, I have, and I can tell
1: you that it's a terrible
0: approach. Not rooted in anything solid. Comparing Calvin's sins with Rome's sins is quite a stretch, too. So he was talking a ton about Calvin and how he, uh, that one guy that he lynched because of the Trinity issue and stuff like that, he had doctrinal issues, and he was preaching something that was, uh, some false teachings, and he ended up uh, having him beheaded, I believe it was. But so this guy lost and spent the whole time talking about Calvin's sins, And, you know, yes, Calvin wasn't the greatest of men. Calvin's sins have no comparison to Rome's. It's a disingenuine argument. Man never brought up Rome. And hundreds of millions of innocent people that were slaughtered in their inquisitions, and they're still going today, because they wouldn't accept her false teachings. And I said, plus, did you know that the papacy has reinstated the Inquisition? So when somebody,
1: you know, accuses you of uh, having an Inquisition, let's remind them that, you know, what what the Inquisition really
0: is about. It's about torture and murder and maiming and killing people. And I have never done any of that, have I? Something uh, you, Eric, you know, you know let's see. Um, recognizing all the uh, many Protestant crimes co- uh, committed all over the ice, I, I, I recognize, let's I say, I recognize all the many Protestant crimes committed over the past 500 years. Because this guy was not, he talked about how the Protestants and the pro uh, and the uh, Puritans in America, how they enslaved the na- Native Americans and they killed them, and uh, they had, you know, slaves and all that. You know, not all of them did. Not to mention the fact that there's, there were the, um, Catholics there weren't there? And yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of things about the Protestants that you know that they should be ashamed of. And they have their own bag of sins and things to be. But you know what? What does Protestant mean to you? It doesn't mean to me being a Protestant. Does that mean being a Lutheran or a Methodist? No. It means to protest. A protestant. I protest against the false doctrines of Rome. Not only of Rome, but of her daughter churches. Which we are forewarned about in Revelations. So this argument about Protestant Rome actually means nothing. It actually has no meaning unless you want to go down that road. What the Bible tells us that her daughter churches will come back to her. That her daughter churches are just as guilty of teaching false doctrine of teaching lies and deception as Rome itself. So... I'm not going to. If you, if anybody listens to this show, you're going to know. And I don't get breaks on any of these institutions, nor should they get. They're not deserving of it. Now, certainly, you know, we look at the reformers and look at Luther and, and all these others who gave us the the Bible and the and the common man language. Oh, praise the Lord! You know, thank God. But you know. Clearly what has happened with this corporate church this uh, you know it's not about the Sabbaths. it's about the fact that the state and religion the state and the church did not go all the way there's supposed to be a division a separation between church and state and it never happened. It never happened in this country and it never happened in, in Europe. And whether or not everyone else is buffaloed by the fact that somehow this country is supposed to be that way never was that way. We're supposed to be that way. We don't need the government to tell us that. We don't need civil government to tell us those of us who are Bible-believing Christians and believe in Christ, Christ alone don't need to be told. And in the day, that there is a separation of church and state already. That's why so many of us are struggling finding a church, because it has not happened in this country. There has no separation of church and state. Whether it's Rome controlling this you know, this country or not. By the way, all our daughter churches are in bed, but all this nonsense too. So what does a man do? Capitulate or stand firm in the word of God? I don't know. You tell me. I'm. I I ain't going to do. I'm not. I don't want to capitulate. As far as judging others, for uh, yeah, and then they talk. You know, the guy talked about the Trinity and how they. um, This one guy, whoever it was, uh, I forget now what his name was. Something Michael or Michael something or another. I can't. I don't know. I have to study on that Michael guy who. Uh, Calvin, you know, who beheaded, why did he behead him fully? But anyways, part of it was about the Trinity, and I said, you know, well, uh, listen, I don't have full understanding of the Trinity, and I've been trying to figure it out now. And it says, uh, you know, as far as judging others, that's uh complete understanding of the Trinity goes, oh, how I know about that one. I have been accused for not, for not being saved or not agreeing with the trinity with many christians including you <laughs> yes i said you yes uh, that's what he said he said to me last year he said you know you're well. obviously you, you know i oh, i wonder if you're saved because i was uh challenging on the trinity and what i'm discovering is is that the trinity is a very difficult topic and uh Judging a man whether they're saved or not. First of all, has, nobody has any business to. I don't have any business judging this person who wrote this whether they're saved or not, or anybody that listens to this. That's not my business to, to decide whether you're saved or not. Now you might be apostate. You might not be. You might be confused. When it comes to Trinity. I struggle with it, as most people I know, who are honest. But. Um, I certainly don't agree now, like what I was thinking maybe six months ago, that the Holy Ghost was nothing more than a power or spirit. I believe that there, uh, there is one God, and there are three beings. There's God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they're separate beings with separate purposes, or separate uh, missions, if you will, but they have one purpose, and that, that is serve the one true God. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it, it's one of those things that's hard to grasp and understand with my mere moral mind. I'm willing to accept that. You know, what, what more do you want from me? I don't know. And, and uh, of course, you could do a better job of explaining it, but, you know, men have been struggling with it for a long time. And I'm not the first one, and I'm not unique. And men that I know, of, I believe, are. Uh, men of God who struggle with it, so well, okay, whatever. So, but anyways, yeah, I do know what it's like to be judged over that, and, and then it does. So the other guy lost and talked about the bomb, Boston bombing, and was insisted that it had something to do with the Muslims and all that. But of course, anybody who's done any research realized that, uh, yeah, it's an inside
1: job. Let's put it that way.
0: hard to believe that it was something legitimate. Especially if one's paid attention just a little bit about the court haste the court case that's going on right now where they're railroading this young man and blaming him for everything.
1: So uh,
0: uh yeah so and I said that, well I don't agree with Calvinism, Romanism or Dispensational Baptist on a major doctrinal, doctrinal issues, and I will not, unless proven scripturally otherwise. Thank goodness for grace of God and His Word. So, what was your point in having me watch this video? I said so. <clears throat>
1: And uh Oh yeah, I think I saw it. Uh,
0: having a humble stride I, I, I meant to say being humble and trite does not mean I have to be united in others' errors.
1: <sighs>
0: so uh, I, I talk about the fact how arrogantly like, you don't and address my questions or comments. <laughs> How is that showing uh, humility? And then it says uh, some other stuff there. So I just enjoy it and wanted to share it with somebody. Sorry if I offended you. Well, you didn't offend me at all. Uh, I think the only thing that really offends is not having an honest dialogue. I'm not know anymore. So, But he accused me of being sounding angry and all that, and I'm sorry, folks, if I sound angry. But when it comes to all this false doctrine and all these, the manipulation that's going on, the deception, yeah, I'm angry about it. I'm not angry at any particular person. Um, uh, I'm not angry at the person that that uh, emailed us. But I'm going to stand firm on things. I'm not going to just placate and just be one of these uh, evangelical bellies as uh, Tom presses. And I'm not going to, just because, you know, someone so says they're a Christian, I'm just supposed to be nice about it. Listen, if they're teaching something that's way off, I have a right to challenge it. Absolutely, I actually have a responsibility, I believe, so
1: so anyways'
0: it's for so and i uh, as far as the person who sent this email, I do care about them. I have nothing against them. I just think it's just ridiculous, but uh, I, I the more and more i mean the, it really, uh, hanging around with, uh, or talk with quote unquote Christians. And if you don't agree with anything, if you agree, if you disagree with anything that they say, well, you know, your devices, you're, you, you know, you're being, you're lacking humility, uh, you're being, uh, combatant and all that kind of stuff. You know, listen, I'm not going to buy, I, if you're going to throw your Christian Zionism in my, in my way, Enforce me to buy, to buy me to buy into it, demand me to buy in, or else I can't associate with you. Then I'm not going to associate with you. It's not my loss, and I don't want to be around with somebody who's a liar and somebody just pushes
1: around stuff that's not true.
0: And by the way, that's not showing. That's not showing. Uh, That's not being Christ-like in behavior. Was Christ doing that? Was Christ saying, hey, you know, uh, well, you know, at least you say you believe me, so I'll be nice to you. No, he was, he he called the Pharisees and the Sadducees and everyone else out on their nonsense and their BS. I'm not Jesus Christ, but I have every right to call you out on your BS. (laughs) especially if you're trying to convince me that your BS is right when it does not even go in line with the scripture. So what am I supposed to do? Anyways, Dispensationalism, a return to the biblical theology and pseudo-Christian cult. Part one, gospel, gospel plow. Why argue about doctrine? Now I beseech you, brother, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. Not to you, in your feelings, but the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them, for they that are such serve not to our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own belly, and by the good words and fair uh, speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. KJV. That's the reason why I bring this stuff up because I listened to a guy like Lawson and I realized that the man, first and foremost, is interested in serving his own belly. And that's part of the problem with the system that we're under right now when it
1: comes to the church.
0: I believe that probably a lot of things that Lawson has preached to the net. Video he believed in but i think that other things he kind of twisted things a little bit and he went for it was supposed to be 45 minutes about the gospel of god and it went all over the place and none of, hardly any of it was about the gospel of god but it was all about mr lawson's opinion about things now there's nothing wrong with you having an opinion and if you want to have a show like i'm doing you can have an opinion personal opinion but when you're supposed to be a representative Someone who's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, you have a heavier burden and weight than I do. I'm just Michael Adams who has a talk show, a talk show, show called Nothing But the Truth. And it's my journey to find it. I never claimed to be a pastor.
1: So if you're going to be
0: someone who's going to be a pastor, you know, your job is to teach... The doctrine. That was not contrary to doctrine.
1: It's your responsibility.
0: If you're not willing to do that and there's something seriously wrong with you, you have other motives, like maybe feeding your belly so you could deceive the hearts of the simple with this dispensational dispensationalism. Dispensationalism, huh? Okay. Why do so many who call themselves Christians continue to argue among themselves and with others about doctrine? Are not all who are named Christ united by the Holy Spirit in, into Christ's body? Doesn't every church teach the same basic doctrine? If this were so, there would have been no need for Paul to admonish young Pastor Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. And then he da-da-da-da, and the quote, and then he goes, for the council of the early church is to define the creed and oppose false teachings for Barton Luther's 95 thesis to Augustburg, the Augsburg Confession, nor, in fact, for the Reformation as a whole. <clears throat> If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I am not confessing Christ. However, boldly I am, I may be professing Him. Where the battle rages, there, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. To be steady on all the battlefront besides is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point, Martin Luther. Since Christian doctrine was first defined, there, have been, there has been a continuous assault both overt and insidious to lead astray those whose faith is not firmly grounded in Christ and sound doctrine. The church has attempted to deal with this fact by defining creed and confessions, teaching catechisms, and requiring pastors to be trained by orthodox institutions. Unfortunately, most of the American church has been caught up in a form of revivalism that replaces creed with testimonies, catechisms with youth group pizza night, and theological training of pastors with the church growth seminars. Most laymen and many preachers have a difficult time putting into words exactly what they believe. And of the few who can make A statement of doctrine fewer still can cite the scriptural basis, history, and make a logical defense of said doctrine. And I could say, honestly, folks, that I'm guilty, probably of all counts. I don't want to be, but I'm working on it. Such is the curse of a theolo- theology based upon feeling and experience rather than the word and sacrament. Interesting how, uh, with dispensationalist Baptists, they like the, the theology to be based on feelings and experience. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Paul, the apostle, was, and I don't know about the sacrament part too, but that's something I don't know. I'm looking to, do. I don't know why it's necessary. It's certainly not salvific; you don't have to do the sacraments to be saved. But I don't know; it's just tradition. Maybe it's part of the, I don't know. Paul, the apostle, was adamant on the subject of doctrine. He is his admonition quoted from the epistle to the Romans was not to avoid the issue of doctrine, but rather to mark those who teach doctrine contrary to that which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude agrees that Christian doctrine was settled at the time of the writing of this, this epistle, but that heresy was creeping into the church. This is Jude 1, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, Jude one, verses three and four. Are we as Christians to divide over any or all issues? In every an ever increasing number of denominations and sects have been caused primarily by disputes over what was considered by those involved to be doctrinal issues. Many will argue over food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. And will, while such issues may have legitimacy in regard to physical health or preferences and forms, the dividing line should be drawn over much more Substantial criteria. What is dispensationalism? Dispensationalism is a form of premillennialism originating from the Plymouth Brothers, or brethren. There they are again, the Plymouth brethren. Man, they really did cause—they really caused a lot of problems, didn't they? In early 1830s the father of dispensationalism John Nelson Darby educated as a lawyer and ordained Anglican priest was of one of the chief founders of the Plymouth Brethren movement which arose in reaction against the uh, perceived empty formula of the Church of England To the brethren, the true indivisible or invisible church was to come out of the apostate visible church, rejecting such forms as priesthood and sacraments. Dispensational theology centers upon the concept of God's dealing with mankind being divided into usual seven distinct economies or dispensations in which man is tested as to his obedience to the will of God as revealed by each dispensation. Dispensationalists see God as pursuing two distinct purposes throughout history, one related to an earthly goal and and an earthly people the Jews. The other to heavenly goals and a heavenly people the church. Dispensationalists believe that the Old Testament God promised the Jewish people an earthly kingdom ruled by Messiah Ben David,
2: <clears throat> and that
0: when Christ came, He offered this uh, prophesized kingdom to the Jews. Or that when Christ came, yeah, okay. And when the Jews of the time rejected Christ and Earth, the kingdom, the promise was postponed and the mystery from the kingdom, the church, was established. The church, according to dispensational doctrine, was unforeseen in the Old Testament. It continued and constitutes a parenthesis. That's right, a parenthesis in God's plan
2: for Israel
0: which makes absolutely no sense because God is all-powerful, all-sovereign. Why does he need to have a parenthesis? In God's plan for Israel. In the future, the distinction between Jews and Gentiles will be reestablished and will continue throughout all eternity. The parenthesis, or church age, will end at the rapture when Christ comes invisibly to take all believers excepting Old Testament saints to heaven at or to heaven to celebrate the marriage feast, the Lamb with Christ, for a period of the seven years. Okay. God's program for Jews then resumes with the tribulation, the Antichrist, bowls of wrath, 144,000 Jews preaching the gospel to the kingdom and Armageddon. Then the second, third, if you count the pre-trib rapture coming, the instantaneous conversion of the entire nation of Israel, the resurrection of the tribulation and old testament saints and the sheep and goats judgment the goats will be cast into hell and the sheep and the believing Jews will enter the millennium and natural human bodies marrying reproducing and dying the mystery church and the resurrected tribulation of the old testament saints will live in heaven in the heavenly Jerusalem suspended over the earthly city This millennium will be the time of great peace and prosperity with Christ ruling on David's throne. Really? Why would God need to to rule on any man's throne? After 1,000 years, Satan will be released from the chain with which he had been bound at the beginning of the millennium, and many of the children born to the sheep, and the Israelites, now remember, there's two different types of people, you and I are sheep, and there's the Israelites, will follow him and revolt against Christ. Makes me think about Bill Cooper, Sheeple. Somebody who was very questionable about his Christian beliefs. I wonder why he'd call all of us sheep. Of course, he was because of our, because we're ignorant and we're stupid and we just blindly follow, right? I think there might have been something a little more than that. You think? I don't know. The king will again destroy his enemies followed by another resurrection of righteousness, another resurrection of unrighteousness, and a final judgment, and at last the new heavens and the new earth. Although pre-millennial thought has been recorded in the early church dispensational theology and its pursuant eschatology are new, as even the father of the system admitted. This is uh, looks like from John Nelson Darby. I think we ought to have something more of direct testimony, direct revelation, testimony. Is that the same thing, I wonder? I don't know. Sounds similar, doesn't it? As to the Lord's coming, it's bearing also on the state of the church. Ordinarily, it would not be well to have it so clear as it, frightens people (laughs) we must pursue it steadily it works like leaven its fruit is by no means seen yet I do not mean leaven as ill but (laughs) but the thoughts are new and the people's minds work on them And all the old habits are against their feelings all the gain of situation, every worldly motive, we must not be surprised at all at its effect being slow on the masses, on the mass, and the ordinary instruments of acting upon others having been trained in most opposite habits. Letter of J N D, Volume One, Pages Twenty Five, Twenty Six. <clears throat> The new doctrine was widely accepted in America due to the popular prophetic meetings such as the Niagara Bible Conference. C.I. Schofield promulgated dispensational thought in his Schofield Reference Bible. Dispensational Bible Institutes by their uh, the hundreds have sprung up across the continent, notably Moody Bible Institute and the Dallas Theological Seminary. That's what I was trying to think up earlier. The Dallas Theological Seminary, in the Bible Moody Bible Institute, <clears throat> media evan- evangelic- evan- evangelists such as Jerry Fair- Falwell, Pat Robinson, Jack Van Impe, Hale Lindsay was I just discovered uh,
1: is a was a Freemason. Did you know that? I didn't know that.
0: <clears throat> Al Lamont, I heard that. Al Lamont said there's Freemasons. So. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. I imagine everyone else there we just mentioned was a Freemason, too. <clears throat> Popularized dispensational eschatology today. Most likely, you have heard these doctrines taught over Christian radio programs. Oh, yes. And, yes, from your own church's pul- church pulpits. Though probably no one defined the theological system as dispensationalism, nor the or their the origination as Darby, circa 1832. Dispensationalists viewed the teaching as a return to biblical theology after nearly 1,800 years of darkness. Sounds like the Mormons, doesn't it? or the Seventy Adventists, doesn't it? The Jehovah Witnesses, doesn't it? Or the Millerites, doesn't it?
1: The Brethren. Another cult.
0: But since the day of Darby began to preach the doctrine, godly men have opposed many books have been published exposing the flaws of the inaccurate of the intricate system. Most hack away at the branches arguing peripheral issues. We intend to lay the axe to the root of the tree. (laughs) My brother, I am a constant reader of my Bible and I soon found that what I was taught to believe by Darby doctrine did not allow, always agree with what my Bible said. And it's reassuring to hear this from somebody else besides me, even though I never read Darby's Bible. But I and it came to, I came to see that I must either part company with John Darby or my precious bible i chose to cling to my bible and part of my and part from mr darby george muller a contemporary and one-time supporter of darby quoted by robert cameron in his book spiritual truth about the Lord's return. And I have to tell you, those two names are, have run flags, stew, so I just don't know what's happened to the Baptist Church, but it's an absolute freaking mess. I used to it, so, you know, you know, nowhere to go but to the Lord, apparently, and that's about it. Maybe this is the whole lesson. Maybe this whole lesson, I'll do all these things, is just God's way of convincing me that there's really nowhere else to go but to Jesus.
1: What does that really mean?
0: <clears throat> Is dispensational premillennialism different from historic premillennialism? Please understand that dispensational premillennialism and classic historic premillennialism are two very different systems of eschatology. From the Bible and the Future by Dr. Wick Brumall. I don't know who that man is. One, older premillennialism taught that the church was in the forevision of the Old Testament prophecy. Dispensational teaches that the church is hardly, if at all, in the Old Testament prophets. Number two, uh, older premillennialism taught that the great burden of the Old Testament prophecy was of was the coming of Christ to die at the first advent and the kingdom age at the second advent. Dispensationalism says that the great burden of the Old Testament prophecy is the kingdom of the Jews. Number three, older premillennialism taught that the first advent was the specific time for Christ to die For man's sins, dispensationalism teaches that the kingdom, earthly, should have been set up at the first advent, for that was the predicted time of its coming. That's that's horrendous. What a terrible thing to think. Oh, yeah, this is number four. One, two, three, four, four. Older premillennialists taught that the present age of grace was designed by God and predicted in the Old Testament. Dispensationalism holds that the present age was unforeseen in the Old Testament and thus is a great parenthesis introduced because the Jews rejected the kingdom. Number five, older premillennialists taught that one may divide time in any way desirable so long as one allows for a millennium millennium after the second advent. Dispensationalism maintains that the only allowable way to divide time is in seven dispensations. Present age is at six such as dispensation, such dispensation. The last one will be the millennial age after the second advent. It is from this division of time that dispensationalism gets its name. The next slide. The next one is older pre-millennialism taught that the second advent was to be one event. Dispensationalism holds that the second advent will be in two sections, the rapture and the revelation between these two events. They put the, to them, unfulfilled 70th week, seven years of Daniel 9:23 to 27, which they call the Great Tribulation. And so what I see a lot of folks doing uh, like Steve Anderson and others, is they just can't completely just let go of dispensationalism. They still want to hold on to the seven weeks. They still want to hold on to the unfulfilled 70th week, or the seven years, excuse me, of Daniel 9, or, what, 23 to 27. They still want to hold on to the Great Tribulation. They still want to hold on to a lot of things, but they're just nah, rejecting the pre-trib part of it. You just can't let go of it all. It's it somehow that defines you, and I guess maybe today it does define you as a Baptist. But what this guy is trying to tell us is historic Baptists didn't buy any of this stuff, didn't promote any of this stuff. And so it's a false argument to say that it's Baptist. Now, it might be promoted and pushed by the Baptists, but it's not originally Baptist. It's Plymouth Brethren and the Jesuits. They're the ones that did this. And they systematically discredited and destroyed the Baptist church, and they did a fine job at it. And it's heartbreaking. Because the truth is, of all the churches that I've seen, at least they still read the scriptures in the Bible. They might be twisting them and manipulating them, but at least they're reading the Bible. I mean, I don't know what else to say, except that it's really devastating. It's heartbreaking. And I've never been at Baptist, but you know, I wouldn't mind. You know what? If I found a old school historic Baptist church, I certainly would love to go to it, check it out. The older premillennialists taught that this certain signs must precede the second advent. Dispensationalism teaches that no sign precedes the rapture stage and the, of the second advent, which may occur at any moment. However there are signs that precede the revelation stage of the second advent. A rapture could occur at any moment, but the revelation must take place after seven years of great tribulation. The first stage is undated and unannounced. The second stage is dated and announced. Next, the older uh, premillennialism had two resurrections, the righteous before the millennium, and the unrighteous after the millennium. The dispensationalist has introduced three resurrections, the tribulation stage at the revelation stage and the second advent. The older pre-millennialists usually held what is called the historical symbolic view of the book of Revelations. This view makes revelation a picture of In symbolic form of the main events in the present age. Uh, Dispensationalism holds generally to the futuristic view of the book of revelations which views make almost the whole book especially chapters 4 to 19 a literal description of events that take place during the great tribulation or Daniel's 70th week which dispensationalism concerns as yet fulfilled, or consider, excuse me. And finally, the general attitude of older premillennialism was on the whole mild and reverent in its approach to Scripture. There have been some outstanding scholars who have been persuaded that the premillennial is the correct view. In contrast, dispensationalism has assumed a far more dogmatic attitude, it has introduced a number of novelties and prophecy interpretation that the church never heard of about a century ago. Historic premillennialism is considered to be an orthodox Christian millennial system. Arguments posted uh, Yeah. Against this this older form of chaliniism, kellenism uh, or something like that we's we'll say chaliaism. that's uh chaliaism something like that c h i l i a s m will be in the nature of a disagreement among brethren about it essentials dispensation the dispensational system however differs from orthodox christian doctrine in many areas. Most of these aberrations will, if seriously considered, end in the denial of the everlasting gospel. Okay, that's the end of part one, and I'm going to play that video. When we get done with the video, I'll finish up part two for this recording. Once again, the article is Dispensationalism, uh, the Return of Biblical Theology or Pseudo-Christian Cult. Part two. So, but give myself a break. We'll listen to this video, and um, yeah, Israelis torturing non-Jewish children, 2014 Australian documentary film. <clears throat> now, this does not have anything to do with like uh, scripture, eschatology, whatever you want to. It's just. A report from 2014 and what they're doing to uh, Palestinian children and others, and how bad things are. And uh, so it's more of a uh, on, your, on the ground type of report. Should make you think. If it's not scriptural, not biblical, the state of Israel. Why on earth are we supporting it? Or those of you that are supporting, why are you supporting it?
1: Do you recognize the
0: hypocrisy? I don't know. And let me see if I can get this set up here. Hopefully, there's no commercials.
3: These program contains scenes that may concern.
0: All right, it's ready to go. So check it out.
3: Some viewers. This land was promised to the Jewish nation by God
4: for more than 40 years, Israel has controlled the West Bank. But now there are serious claims that Palestinian children are being systematically targeted, arrested and jailed in the battle to control this disputed territory. And it's that fear and
5: intimidation uh, that makes this system work so effectively well. You never know when there's going to be the bang on the door in the middle of the night.
6: Let me say this very clearly, there is no such policy. A policy to create fear, there is no such thing.
4: A new generation of hatred in the making, welcome to Four Corners. Imagine in a major Australian city or in any other civilised society, regular late night raids on family homes, by heavily armed soldiers to take away children in blindfolds and handcuffs for interrogation. Imagine a military prison where the inmates include children as young as 12, in shackles. Such is the distortion of life in a region of broken peace plans and deeply embedded hostilities between 2.5 million Palestinians and 350,000 Israeli settlers after more than 40 years of military occupation. A UNICEF report last year found that Palestinian children had been threatened under interrogation by Israeli security forces with death, physical violence, solitary confinement and sexual assault against themselves or a family member while demanding confessions for alleged offences, most commonly stone-throwing. UNICEF estimates that over the past decade an average of 700 children a year have been detained, interrogated and processed through Israel's military court. In tonight's story, a joint investigation by Four Corners and the Australian newspaper outlines the way justice is practiced with regard to the children of the West Bank. The reporter is the Australian's Middle East correspondent, John Lyons.
7: A
8: peaceful evening in a small Palestinian village a 14-year-old boy and his family sleep. Suddenly, the night is shattered. The Israeli army is making a raid. Their target, the boy who they claim has thrown stones at them. His mother recalls that moment.
3: واحد on the door, the I would say what do you want to do with And the Hakina would deal with I to an I done
8: nothing wrong. But this begins
2: an eighteen day nightmare. At the age of fifteen,
8: the life of this boy was also turned upside down. I am not
9: sure that I am not
8: sure that I
9: am not sure I I I لما الضابط في منهم واحد شرح القرفحة هايك مشي حضرين كلياته هايك عنهم زي إضغام أو شي ويحكي معاه ويكشر ويخوف فيه ويضربني في الكهرباء صعقات كهربائية كان يضرب
8: as a 14-year-old, Islam Dara Yub has also come up against Israel's security
2: services.
10: Oh,
8: these boys are part of the new front line in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict they're among the 700 Palestinian children brought each year before Israel's military court
7: you
8: never know when there's going to be the bang on the door
5: in the middle of the night and soldiers are going to demand that you bring out your children, and one of them is taken away.
8: Onto this front line has walked Australian lawyer Gerard Horton. He left his practice as a commercial law barrister in Sydney six years ago, and is now leading a campaign to end a system under which Palestinian children have fewer rights than Israeli children. Including being subjected to nighttime arrests by heavily armed soldiers. That has a paralyzing effect on whole
5: communities. And it's that fear and intimidation uh, that makes this system work so effectively well with relatively few soldiers on the ground. And so it also makes it quite a cost effective occupation.
6: Let me say this very clearly there is no such policy. A policy to create fear, there is no such thing. The only policy is to maintain law and order. That's all. There's no violence. There is no enforcement. The President of the
11: United States.
8: (laughs) But US President Barack Obama told the Israelis last year that this problem will not resolve itself.
0: And put yourself in their shoes. Look at the world
1: through their eyes. It is not fair that a Palestinian
12: child cannot grow up in a state of their own, living their entire lives
0: with the presence of a foreign army that controls the movements, not just of those young people, but their parents, their grandparents, every single day.
8: However, leaders of Israel's settler movement, like Daniela Weiss, do not agree.
3: We came to a land where there were other people living. But this land was promised to the Jewish nation by God. All the other people who live here will accept Jewish sovereignty in the promised land. This is the only way I see it. So those who accept it live nicely. Those who do not accept it encounter confrontations.
8: Those confrontations occur mostly near settlements. In 1967, Israel began occupying the West Bank, which is also known as the Palestinian Territories. Since then, settlements, widely regarded as illegal under international law, have come to dominate the West Bank. Israel insists they are not illegal. So take a
5: situation involving two children in the West Bank throwing stones, one a Palestinian child, one an Israeli child living in the settlements. The Palestinian child will be prosecuted in a military jurisdiction with far fewer rights and protections, whereas his Israeli counterpart, living sometimes 500 meters away, will be prosecuted in a juvenile justice system which meets international standards and complies... Um, It is the sort of system you'd expect in any Western-style democracy. It is, without question, very problematic when you
12: see that there are um, possibly very young children being arrested um, in the early hours
8: of the morning to deal with a case. Lieutenant-Colonel Maurice Hirsch is the Israeli Army officer who oversees prosecutions at the military court. It's unfortunately an operational necessity. Um, because of the
12: widespread, widespread uh, disturbance of the peace that, that occur when, once we try to carry out the rest during the day, and the reluctance of the, of the, of the Palestinian population um, to, to cooperate a priori with uh, the, the law enforcement agency.
8: To understand Israel's two different legal systems, it helps to come to Hebron the largest Palestinian city in the West Bank. Here, 800 Israeli settlers live in the centre of Hebron, surrounded by 180,000 Palestinians. This used to be a thriving Palestinian market. The effect of Israel's occupation is obvious. Now, it's a ghost town. Israeli soldiers will not allow Palestinians to walk along these streets. Palestinians say they've been forced out and many buildings taken over by the settlers protected by soldiers. This Palestinian man wants to walk along this street
2: I am from Hebron, I can
6: or not enough? You cannot. The first time I visit here, I can? No, you can't. Um, can, can I ask, my? why
8: can't the Palestinians walk this way?
10: This is the order I got. Why, as a Palestinian,
8: why can't you walk there? I asked him
9: that, I want to bus or to the cemetery to visit
8: my uh, father's grave. He said that
9: uh, no, you yeah, cannot,
8: you just find it interesting that we as foreigners, and I as an Australian, can walk there, but you two are Palestinian. Yes, yes. In the largest Palestinian city in the West Bank and you cannot walk. When we visited Hebron, it was early morning. Many Palestinian children were walking to school. Suddenly, we heard tear gas being fired. The Israeli army told us it was in response to stone throwing. We couldn't confirm this, but we saw these Israeli police assembling. Then they fired tear gas, towards the children. We saw no provocation from the children who were trying to avoid the gas. The teachers said tear gas was fired here almost every day. And why do you think the Israelis do it? They that the protect
12: their uh But we we
7: want to study our children. The last week we take the hospitals from the death. Uh how
8: are you? Do you speak English? We approached the police. We're from Australian television. We cannot talk to you. No. But can, I, can I just ask one thing? Excuse me. We've just been standing here now. Why did you fire the tear gas towards those children going to school? We, can't talk to you. we cannot talk to you. cannot talk to you. No, but they appear to be children going to school normally. Can I ask you why you fired this and the other tear gas at them? What is it? What? Hebron has long been a flashpoint. What occurs openly here, one law for Israelis, one for Palestinians, is typical of the West Bank, according to Yehuda Shaul, who served here as an Israeli army commander.
7: The DNA
11: of the military operations that we see in Hebron, we see all over the West Bank.
8: Yehuda Shul founded Breaking the Silence, 950 current and former Israeli combat soldiers trying to end
11: human rights abuses. I've never broken into houses in the middle of the night here in Jerusalem and tear apart apartments. But in Hebron where I served for 14 months, 24-7, that's what we've done. In order to make our presence
7: felt.
8: Last July, one case shocked many. On the streets of Hebron, five year old Wadia Maswade was picked up by soldiers. An Israeli settler had claimed that he had thrown a stone at him. His friend tried to help.
9: Sorry, <laughs> اهلا وسهلا انا سالت اني جيت بس مسك حالي لما تنسى توسع حالي لالتني افطم اسكت
7: كنت حابب اه
8: The boy is taken by six soldiers. He was released after two hours. One settler making one allegation is able to activate this level of military intervention against a five-year-old. When his father intervenes, he is
11: blindfolded.
8: When you see an Israeli soldier in the street, what do you think? And what happened when they took you into the van? What happened then?
11: Look, for my service, I actually don't remember children. Like, you know, I have some memories of kind of seeing children when you burst into houses in the middle of the night and children start to cry or whatever. But these are the vague memories I have uh, for my service. Because just the idea that there's children and adults is not an idea that you have there. Okay, when you're in uniform, it's them and us. I want people
13: to think what they would do if their five-year-old child was being taken by an occupier's army, even by your local police.
8: Gabi Lasky is a prominent Israeli lawyer who defends Palestinians.
13: If a five-year-old was being helped by uh, an authority that is not you, you would do anything uh, in order to try to get your child back. Military courts are the long arm of occupation. We are not talking about courts of justice. We are
11: talking about courts of occupation. Look, I grew up believing that our actions as a military in the occupied territories are here to protect Israel from terrorism. What I've learned from my three years of service and nine years of activism and breaking the silence, after reading testimonies of over 950 soldiers, is that the main story here is about maintaining our absolute military control over Palestinians.
8: Palestinians say the soldiers are working in concert with the settlers. This vision, shot by a Swedish documentary maker, shows settlers attacking Palestinian children while soldiers stand by. Here, a settler fires live ammunition, hitting a Palestinian youth in the side of the head. Again, soldiers stand by.
11: When we see settlers attacking a Palestinian, our orders are not to intervene. Palestinian
8: children face danger on two fronts, night arrests from the army and violence from settlers. To get to school each day, these children need to walk past this settler outpost. Attacks from settlers have become so bad that the army escorts the children. But school has finished early and the army has not turned up. Today, the children are on their own. Their only protection is this Israeli volunteer who hopes by carrying a camera he will deter settlers.
0: How do you feel? Well, you're a Jewish Israeli. How do you feel about this? I can't uh,
12: describe this, uh, this uh, in words because I feel myself as as uh,
10: partly a Holocaust survivor because my my grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. He was partisan. He, he, he ran away for a few years and, and all all his uh, family uh, died in the Holocaust. And, and 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 I I don't get it. How how? From uh, one who, who, who made, who, who was suffering from all those stuff, we, we became uh, people that, that are making other people suffering for our, uh, our behavior. It, it's 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 bite me. It's 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 it's
8: really bite me. But the suffering is on both sides. Three-year-old, Adele Bitton, has brain damage and may never recover.
3: Eight months ago, I was driving back from my parents' home, back to my home in Myakil, when Palestinian terrorists threw through a large building stones on my car. The stones, the building stones, hit Adele's head and also caused me to pump into a truck. We fighting together to get her back to life. I, know, I don't think that it's fair for her to sleep here in the bed and don't do things like children in her age. It's not fair.
8: When someone throws stones or blocks, building blocks, whether they're Palestinian or Jewish, do you think it should be the same law for both?
3: For both. Because we need to highlight the word
7: stone kills. Stone skills. Stone skills
12: a three year old child is basically uh, uh, um is still in hospital, and it's unlikely that she will recover from that event
8: um, That is terrorism lieutenant colonel Maurice Hirsch says arrests have been made following the attack
12: we're now dealing with five minors um We threw stones at some 20 odd cars on a fast road at night time. They stood as a group at the side of the road um, and pounded the passing cars with with, with stones. Um,
5: They hit hit a, a number of cars on the way. If you throw a stone at a vehicle traveling at 70 kilometers an hour, that can kill. There's no question it can be very dangerous. And that's why I think it's so important to look at the evidence. The evidence collected by the Israeli organization Betlem shows that since November 2000, four people have been killed in the West Bank uh, from people throwing stones at vehicles. One was a Palestinian, three were Israeli settlers, two of those were infants.
8: While stone-throwing can indeed be serious, critics say it's been used as a catch-all charge to arrest Palestinian children. When Kusai Zamara was woken by soldiers at 2 a.m., he had no idea what was ahead of him.
14: He saw soldiers in in his bedroom, which was a very frightening experience for him. One of the soldiers kicked him with his boot. He grabbed him from his T-shirt, pulled him out of bed, and dragged him outside. Um, <clears throat> Kusai watched his father, totally helpless. His mother crying and shouting, unable to do anything. His younger siblings, his sisters, uh, totally devastated by the by what was going on.
8: Kusai was taken by military vehicle to an interrogation
2: centre. Uh, the car. I was <laughs> I me not to because
14: I wanted to know what the interrogator wanted him to confess to. And he said, uh, uh, I wanted to confess to throwing stones. And he said, How do you expect me to confess to something I didn't do? And uh, then the interrogator got very upset and he actually uh, slapped him with the. Uh, with a piece of uh, uh, plastic
2: hose that he, that he had and threatened to electrocute him. Finally, Kusai gave in. was going to to I going to فحنيت آخذوني قال لي طيب جابوا ورقة دخلني عندو على مكتب طال ورقة وكت على الكمبيوتر شوي طال ورقة أعطاني عن قال لي وقع له قال لي هذول اعترافاتك أبصر شو كتبها بس بس هو عني أشياء ثانية يعني كان كتب, كتب إني ضرب مستوطنة وبنته وشغلاتك أنت تحس داخلك يعني لو الجندي بين إيديك
8: after the arrests children are brought to facilities such as this which dot the West Bank and are used by the army and police to imprison and interrogate threats are often made at these centers you'll be subjected to um, violence
5: if you don't confess you'll be detained for an extended period of time if you don't confess again intelligence is usually very good so the interrogator will know if that child's father has a work permit for example to work inside Israel if that's the case the threats sometimes are of the nature of we will revoke
8: your father's work permit unless you confess could you show me what happened to you when Fatih Mafouz was returning home he came across confrontations between the army and you yes. He says he was not involved, but was taken away
9: for 82 days. He was just 15. When I not him, took me to room, a this me I was
5: I was I and the <laughs> interrogators started yelling at him. And then what Fafi says is that he was then um, placed on some sort of wooden device on the wall, similar in shape to a cross, although it had two legs. He says that his legs were shackled to this um, wooden structure. Um, his hands were shackled to the structure, and he was left there for several hours. Until he in here? And cut كتل الهز
9: والهاب، وباري يضرب يقول إيش عملته؟ ما يعني. يقول لا أنت عامل أشياء. says
7: after
8: five hours he was taken down from the structure.
9: يصار يطلع من ثمي اشيء زي رغوة بيضة أجوا اثنين حملوني قلولوا على أسعار. السيدة كمت علي بطلت حتى تنفس أخذني أخذوني في نفس, يعني في نفس المنطقة التي كنت أنا فيها في نفس العمارة كانت فيها لهذا زي عيادة هيك صغيرة ثوتني يقول لي وين الوجع يصير يعص عليه ويضرب عليه ويصير يتخوت عليه
8: From his experience interviewing hundreds of Palestinian children, Gerard Horton says one interrogator stands out. This particular interrogator
5: specialises in threatening children um, with rape, and he makes very specific allegations. He will name someone who apparently is waiting outside the interrogation room, who will, um, if the child doesn't confess, will come in and rape
8: that child. The Australian lawyer found one boy's testimony particularly disturbing. What he says happened is somebody then put some
5: food, he thinks it was bread, on the top of his head, and then the dog was brought over and made to eat the food off his head. He was terrified by this experience. He could hear the dog next to him uh, drooling all over him. He was fearful that he was going to be bitten at any moment. Then uh, someone put food... Um, he, he was dressed, but someone put food uh, on his genitals, and the dog was then made to eat the food
8: off that part of his, his trousers. After interrogation, children are brought here for trial, a military prison near Jerusalem. The army would not let four corners film inside. I've been behind these walls three times. I saw children shuffling across the courtyard, handcuffed and shackled. Some hearings lasted 60 seconds. I saw one boy shout the name of his prison so his mother would know where he was being held. I saw the judge convict some children without even once looking at them. Through it all, what I saw was a conveyor belt of convicted children.
5: I think I was to give you some indication of how efficient from a military perspective, this system is. According to the military court's own records, their annual annual report, the uh, courts have a conviction rate um, of around
7: 99.74%.
8: Typically, a Palestinian boy convicted of throwing stones will be sentenced to about three months in prison. (laughs) The United Nations Children's Agency, UNICEF, last year released a scathing report on Israel's system. It found that Palestinian children had been threatened with death, physical violence, solitary confinement and sexual assault against themselves or a family member. The report found that that ill treatment was
5: widespread, systematic and institutionalized throughout the system. From the moment that the child was arrested right up until the sentencing process.
6: Uh, The natural reaction is that this is an intolerable, uh, these are intolerable cases, and that I would like my authorities to do uh, their utmost to make sure that this will not be repeated and uh, that this will change. And I believe that this is precisely what we are doing.
8: Last month, under pressure from human rights groups, Israel stopped the long-standing practice of keeping children overnight in outdoor cages. Children had been kept freezing in the cages during snowstorms. While Israel appears to be making concessions, others argue this disguises a harsher reality. Four Corners has learnt that the Israeli security services now have a new strategy. They bring Palestinian children as young as 12 to massive interrogation facilities like this one. The security services are now targeting the children as a way of gathering intelligence on their villages, including asking the children about their neighbors and members of their own family.
13: I can see a pattern that, um, that Israel hasn't been able to put down the nonviolent uh, movement in, in, in the occupied territories. Through, uh, violent means so the best way to do it is by incriminating those leaders and the easiest way to do that to, to achieve to, to get those incriminations is by arresting children uh, which are the, the the weakest link
8: so they're using children to gather
13: intelligence uh, 100%
8: islam Dar Ayub was 14 when Israeli soldiers arrived at his house at 2 a.m.
7: كنا
14: احنا نايمين بالليل فكان انه على الباب بشكل عنيف جدا وقوي جدا فتحنا الباب انه يعني على طول مسلط وقاسي جدا انه انه ليش طيب ليش شو فيه احكون شو فيه شو عامل هذا الطفل شو كان انه شاكت اسكت وضرب فيه في اخته في ابوه على البيت وسكره وضرب غاز وضرب
8: arrest was part of a practice by the israeli army known as mapping palestinian children are now regularly woken up at night ...photographed and questioned about which bed they sleep in. This video shows Islam on the right... ...and his brother being photographed by Israeli soldiers after being woken up.
13: What the army has done is that they have come to all the houses in the village... ...and um, asked for the children in the house to show them where they sleep... They take pictures of a the child, they ask for their ID numbers, and they map them.
8: Three days after mapping this house, the army returns in a nighttime raid and arrests Islam. Later, police come for Islam's nine year old brother, Karim.
13: He was nine years old, I think, when he was first arrested, which is completely um, unacceptable, even to the army authorities.
8: Chief. Islam's interrogation was filmed. It quickly becomes clear that what the authorities really want is information about the leaders of the non-violent protest movement in the town, including Basim Tamimi. Enormous pressure can be applied during these interrogations. You
5: tell the child, you can be released today if you just from time to time provide us with a little bit of information about who the troublemakers in the village are. Or um, sometimes there's offers of money, generally not a great deal of money. But the child can be offered money, mobile phone, um, threatened sometimes.
10: they are trying to know information about the village and about the life of people the families their attitudes the attitudes of the community and all of these and the most vicious and the most horrible thing to push people to collaborate as collaborators with the occupiers to put them under the stick and carrot process if you reject this if you are refusing this you will be punished, you will, you will stay longer in prison. So, uh, this kind of uh, converting a child who's not responsible for his act uh, to be a collaborator is not just helping in information gathering for the Israelis, it's breaking this child forever.
6: There has to be a pattern because the interrogators will want to gather information about possible violence emerging from a certain area or from certain people. And uh, I think that's perfectly legitimate to ask uh, people who were arrested for being involved in uh, violent actions uh, to ask them where they come from why they have been involved in such violent actions, who sent them, and whether there are more uh, people coming from the same place with the same intent.
8: Hashem <laughs> <laughs> Tamimi rejects the violence supported by his cousin Ahlam Tamimi, who in 2001 masterminded a terror attack in Jerusalem.
12: We reject all type of uh, terrorists around the world. We are
9: against harming the human being life for any reason. But we are struggling for our right to live in peace and to build a state of peace for everyone. And we uh, ask our enemy to remove the occupation. This
8: scenario is We see here Malia But this will never happen according to Daniela Weiss, a founder of the settler movement. In the 1970s, Daniela Weiss would regularly meet Ariel Sharon, then Minister for Agriculture, to plan settlements so no Palestinian state could emerge. You and Ariel Sharon were determined there would not be a Palestinian state. My
3: many talks with Ariel Sharon and with My work with Ariel Sharon, there was a clear understanding, a very clear planning of spreading the the Jewish communities in the way that there will be no option for a Palestinian state in Judea and Samaria.
8: Despite international condemnation, settlement growth is surging. If a Palestinian child said to you, uh, what is the hope for me, for my future, to have my own state? What would you say to that child?
3: This land was promised to the Jews by God and uh, all of it. It's true that in course of history, Arabs came to this uh, area from all over. But the promise of God is more important than the changes in history and the political changes. That is why you have to put it deep, deep into your mind that you, that you do not have any chance whatsoever in any point of history, neither you nor any of your offsprings to ever have an independent state of your own here.
9: you. <laughs>
8: For five-year-old Wadia Maswade and his friend Dia Kafiche, there seems little hope. Do you feel safe at, in your home, at, in bed at night? No. Do you want to stay living in Hebron? No. Do you want to leave? Where do you want to go
7: to? Family. In Jordan.
14: This is how these communities are torn apart in the middle of the night when no one is watching. And uh, it is done one family at a time, one house at a time. And it's systematic and relentless.
8: The system is devastating
3: families.
7: <laughs> <laughs> the
14: boys are clearly traumatized.
8: <laughs> 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 Sometimes
9: you feel
7: that uh,
10: these kids
7: will
10: be lost forever. So our work with them is to help these kids uh, get rid of a psychological impact which might destroy their lives. And this might lead them to whatever extreme you can imagine.
8: This long conflict between Israelis and Palestinians is one of cycles and revenge. Today, Israel is strong. But what happens when this generation of Palestinian children comes of age?
4: Israeli authorities have responded to some of the recommendations made in UNICEF's report, Children in Israeli Military Detention. They have agreed to pilot two areas in the West Bank where children are issued with summons rather than being arrested at home at night. To date, this pilot hasn't begun. Next week on Four Corners, Inside the Secret State of North Korea.
0: Okay. Once again, the video is called Israelis Torturing Non-Jewish Children 2014 Australian Documentary Film. You can find it on YouTube. And... um, yeah, incredibly satanic. These people deny the true living God. I'm talking about the particular, the quote-unquote Jews in, Jerusalem, in, in Israel. And uh, people in this country are supporting it. Dispensationalism, A Return to Biblical Theology and Pseudo or Pseudo-Christian Cult, Part 2 of Gospel Plow.
1: And I'm starting to really think that the Baptist Church turned into a pseudo-Christian cult. And that's heartbreaking. That's tragic.
0: How does dispensationalism deny the gospel? Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if any one of you preaches another gospel to you, or if anyone preaches another gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men, or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Galatians 1, verses 6-10 Dispensationalists have long been accused of being uh, multiple methods of teaching, excuse me, accused of teaching multiple methods of salvation. Dispensational leaders, uh, accepting the Bollinger or Bollingerite or consistent sects, have long denied these cha- charges. Denial without ref- refutation is, however, meaningless. Let us examine some of the evidence. <clears throat> The Schofield Problem, C.I. Schofield, 1843-1921, pastor of the First Congregational Church in Dallas, Texas, then of Moody Church, Northview of Massachusetts, discussed with Arno C. gabellian his plan to write an annotated version of the Bible in 1901. <clears throat> One night... About the middle of the week, that week, Doctor Schofield suggested that the after the evening service that we take a stroll along the shore. It was a beautiful night. Our walk along the shore of the Sound lasted until midnight. For the first time, he mentioned the plan of producing a reference Bible. The outline of the method he had in mind. He said he had thought of it for many years, and had spoken to others about it, but had not received much encouragement. The scheme came to him in the early days of his ministry in Dallas, and later during the balmy days of the Niagara, Niagara Conferences. He had submitted his desire to a number of brethren who all approved of it, but nothing came of it. He expressed the hope that the new beginning and this new testimony in the sea cliff might open the way to bring about the publication of such a Bible with references and copious footnotes. Moody Monthly, 43, 1943-278. <clears throat> and the result of this discussion was the Schofield Reference Bible in 1909, combining an attractive format, notes, and cross-references, which became perhaps the most influential tome or tomb of uh, dispensational theology to date.
1: The teachings
0: of the dispensational premillennialism on prophecy have spread widely in Canada and the United States, due especially to the influence of the 1909 Schofield Reference Bible and its subsequent editions. The theology presented by Schofield in his Reference Bible is normative dispensational doctrine, thus the significance of the quote here. Quote, A dispensation, grace begins with the death and resurrection of Christ. The point testing is no longer legal obedience as the condition of salvation, but acceptance or rejection of Christ with good works as a fruit of of salvation. Schofield here
1: states that
0: Uh, Silvitic grace is a New Testament phenomenon, unavailable in previous dispensations. Notice that Scofield explains that legal obedience was the condition of salvation in previous dispensations, but that now faith in Christ is the condition that must be met. This is consistent with Scofield's definition of a dispensation. A dispensation is a period of time during which A man is tested in respect to obedience to some specific revelation of the will of God. If indeed man is tested in respect to obedience to the will of God in each of these dispensations, what is reward or or punishment? If the reward is salvation, as obviously Schofield taught concerning the dispensation of law, that salvation is not of grace but of works. Dispensationalists, misunderstanding the concept of law and gospel, offer salvation to those who meet the condition of the dispensation in which they are tested. Thus, even the dispensation of grace, faith becomes a work which entitles us to Christ. If one can only muster from the depths of one's heart enough faith, one can meet the condition of the dispensation and be rewarded with salvation.
1: Orthodox Christian
0: doctrine, on the other hand, um, adamantly teaches that man is dead in trespasses and sins and cannot improve his condition in the slightest, and that it is Christ alone who justifies the ungodly. Faith is a gift of God through the new birth as a work of the Holy Spirit by word and sacrament. It is also taught among us that since the fall of Adam, all all men who are born according to the course of nature are conceived and born in sin. This is all men are full of evil lust and inclinations from their mother's womb and unable by nature to have true fear of God and true faith in god and true faith in god for moreover or moreover excuse me this inborn sickness and hereditary sin is truly sin and condemns the to, and condemns to the eternal wrath of god all those who are not born again through baptism in the holy spirit rejected in this connection are the uh, pelagians and others who deny the original sin sin is sin. For they hold that natural man is made righteous by his own powers, thus disparaging the sufferings and merits of Christ. In answer to Schofield's problem, dispensationalists began to redefine the terms dispensation. The new Schofield Reference Bible of 1967 repeats Schofield's terminology but the modern commentators elaborate on 1909's version, indicating that the definition implies three concepts, a new divine revelation, the nature of man's stewardship with respect to it, and a certain time period for it. This implied concepts are then qualified to such an extent as to make the delineation meaningless. Significantly, this new definition of dispensation brings in Question whether the term means anything at all. <clears throat> the purpose of each dispensation, then, is to place man under a specific rule of conduct, but such stewardship is not a condition of salvation. In every past dispensation, unregenerated man has failed, and he has failed in this. Present dispensation and will in the future, but salvation has been and will continue to be available to him by God's grace through faith. Revisionist dispensationalism now states that the purpose of the dispensations are not salvific. What then is the purpose of the testing in regard to the specific rule of conduct? What is the specific? Well, excuse me, what is the significance of man's failure in a various in, in the various dispensations? It seems that while Schofield might have been too frank in his elucidation, his successors have so qualified the term dispensation as to remove from it any semblance of meaning. Note also that available to him by God's grace through faith still leaves it unclear as to whether faith is an innate ability of fallen man or is a product of the new birth. The central question here is whether dispensational theology recognizes as does Orthodox Christianity the regeneration. that regeneration is the source of faith. Dispensational theology sees the sequence of dispensations as opportunities for fallen man to attain to God. Though in past dispensations none passed the test, the opportunity was there. Does this, uh, do this and live, quote. So, quote, do this and live. During the current dispensation of grace, the bar has been lowered. All that is required is faith. If a man will avail himself of his chance and exercise his own moral ability to believe, he will be entitled to grace, of God in Christ. I can't remember where I started off there. Okay, Choffer's Problem. Lewis Spencer, or Sperry, Sperry, Choffer, 1871 to 1952, a student of Schofield, established... Dallas Theological Seminary in nineteen twenty four and led dispensationalism flagship school for its first thirty years, Choffer, also produced the first definitive systematic theology of dispensationalism. Lewis Sperry or Sperry Chaufer, Systematic Theology Volume eight volumes, Dallas, Dallas Seminary Press, nineteen forty eight, is a standard Articulation of Schofieldian Dispensational Thought. Chaffer, always faithful to his mentor, stated, it goes on record that the Dallas Theological Seminary uses, recommends, and defends the Schofield Bible. That the founder of the school, known as the Jerusalem of Dispensationalism, and the author of her Systematic Theology, might make statements such as the following comes to no surprise to those who understand the grievous error of dispensational system of the dispensational system. <clears throat> Quote, With the call of Abraham and the giving of the law, there are two widely different standardized divine providence provisions whereby man who is utterly fallen might come into favor of God and quote Chaffer's system systematic theology makes the point that the old testament man men were justified by law while the new testament faith was without works again his in his dispensationalism page 430 Schaffer makes plain his misunderstanding of grace as before stated whatever god does for sinful man, on any terms whatsoever, being made possible through the death of Christ is, to that extent, an act of divine grace, Where, for where whatever God does on the ground of Christ's death is gracious in character. And all will agree that a divine covenant, which is void of all human elements, is more gracious in character than one which is otherwise. These distinctions apply only to the divine side of the covenant. On the human side, there is no exercise of grace in any case, but the human requirements which the divine covenant imposes may be either absolutely lacking or some so drastically imposed as to determine the the destiny of the individual. Choffer, in keeping with the standard definition of dispensation, sees the the atonement as making grace possible throughout the various ages, which allows salvation to be viewed as gracious regardless of the added requirements of that specific dispensation. So under grace, the human requirements which the divine covenant imposes may be either absolutely lacking if one can generate the necessary faith one might receive grace under the dispensation of law or so drastically opposed as to determine the destiny of the individual, one might be required to keep the law. Either case, salvation is obtained and is gracious according to Schaffer, While in fact it is salvation by grace, it is salvation by grace and neither. Modern dispensationalism modern dispensationalists may argue that Schofield and Schaff Schaffer admit has not been properly discerned from what they have said. To that we say look at the the consistent consistent or Bulgarite, Bulgarite dispensationalists who has done nothing other than carry dispensational consistently to its logical
1: conclusion. The kingdom
0: offered. The kingdom offer. Dispensations believe that the purpose of the first advent of Jesus Christ was to offer an earthly kingdom to the Jews. This kingdom would reinstate the Old Testament legal system and its expansion to the entire world under the under the Messiah. When the Jews rejected Jesus and his kingdom offer, plan B went into effect, and Christ went to the cross to initiate the dispensation of grace and the, mystery, and the mystery church. I love that, the mystery church. I hate that. I mean, it's just awful. The mystery church. As Israel received her king, there would have been no cross, no gospel, which is totally blasphemous. Doesn't say anything at all in the Old Testament. it's what it's supposed to do? When Jesus came, He made a bona fide offer of the of the kingdom and power to the people of Israel. What then if the Jews had done their duty and accepted this offer of the salvation of mankind? What of the cross? Without shedding the blood, there is no remission. What of the prophecies pointing to the cross? How could Christ offer a kingdom that he could not permit to be established, lest there be no salvation of man by his shed blood? Dispensations attempt to absolve themselves from the concept of making God a liar by claiming he knew no one would call his bluff. This is terrible. It's outright this evil. And, and, you know, people buy into it. by the millions. He knew before he came that they would refuse it. Knew from all eternity hence there are prophets which spake of his coming to die for us. Still the problem stands even if God or Christ made an earthly kingdom offer knowing that the Jews would refuse, the author could not have been redeemed. An offer that is Impossible to honor is not a sincere offer, but a fraud. Our God makes no unsincere or no insincere offers. Besides, if Christ came to establish an earthly kingdom for the Jews, surely He had the opportunity and the support of the masses. Plus, He's Christ, he's Jesus Christ. He'd do it. He did not need your help, my help, or anybody's help. He's God Himself. You don't need to do that. You don't need anybody's help. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. John 6.15 Now Christ came at the set time to die on the cross to redeem fallen mankind. All true sons of Abraham recognize him. It is at the ascension that he received his kingdom, he is seated now
1: in his throne.
0: Therefore, now this is Ephesians 1, 15-21. Therefore, I also offer, I could have up trying this. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, did not cease to give thanks for them, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the workings, working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above any principality or power and might or dominion in every name that is named? Not only in this age but also in that which is to come Ephesians one fifteen through twenty one. The dispensational distinction between Israel and the church. Comparing then what is said in Scripture, concerning Israel and the Church, we find that in origin, calling, promises, worship, and principles of conduct and future destiny all. Is, con- is contrast. Perhaps the central doctrine of dispensationalism is the distinction between Israel and the church. Dispensationalism sees Israel as an earthly people with an earthly promises and the church as a heavenly people with heavenly promises. Membership in Israel is by natural birth, which now negates 93% of all the people on this planet call themselves Jews or Israelites because they ain't. They don't have it in them. No blood, not one. One enters the church by, and I'm talking about those who call themselves Israelites or Jews, I'm talking about. Not talking about the rest of us, I'm talking about just those who call themselves Jews. Membership in Israel is by natural birth. One enters the church by supernatural birth. Dispensationalists view Israel and the church as having distinct eternal destinies. Israel will receive an eternal earthly kingdom, and the church an, earthly, an eternal heavenly kingdom. Yeah. How twisted. Darby, the father of dispensationalism, stated the distinction in the clearest of terms. The Jewish nation is never to enter the church. Ryrie considers this the most important dispensational distinction and approves of the statement that the basic promises of dispensationalism is two purposes of God's expressed in the formation of two peoples who maintain their distinction throughout eternity. Yet they can't quote any scripture to, to support it. Isn't that amazing? In contrast, Christian theology has always maintained the essential uh, con- Continuity of Israel the church, the election of all the ages, are seen as one people, with one Savior, one destiny. This continuity can be shown by examining a few Old Testament prophecies with their fulfillment. Dispensationalists admit that if the church can be shown to be fulfilling promises made to Israel, their system is doomed. And then it says here, quote, If the church is fulfilling Israel's promises as contained in the new covenant or anywhere else in scriptures, then dispensational premillennialism is condemned. Promise to Israel. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it sh- shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God, Hosea 1.10, fulfillment in the church. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. He, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved, who was not beloved and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people there. They shall be called sons of the living God. Romans 22 through 26. And I'm not quite sure which chapter that is promised Israel. And I'll probably just reread all this stuff that I read on the previous recording for part two. Um, so we promise to Israel. Then I will show her to for myself and the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, ye are my people. And then shall I say, you are my God. Hosea 2.23, fulfillment in the church. But... You are chosen you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation.
1: <clears throat> and a holy
0: nation doesn't need to have boundaries by the way, and borders. Did you know that? Did you know that? Say you care somebody from the Cherokee Nation. Does Cherokee Nation, do they have a official boundary or border?
1: I don't think so. It has nothing to
0: do with geography, people. Nothing. Once again, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy first Peter two nine and ten promise to Israel. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages, and I'll rise it up in up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old Amos nine eleven. Of course, that did happen, didn't happen, did it? Two thousand years ago, fulfillment in the church. Simon has declared how God, at the fir- well, actually it's more than two thousand years ago, wasn't it? Um, Simon has declared how God, at first, visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people f- for His name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will, I will set it up, so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, saith the Lord, who does all these things, know to God, known to God from the eternity are all his works, Acts 15 fourteen through eighteen, really? the Gentiles, huh? The going? the Per? Well, oh, that's a shame. I guess that just blows that whole argument on the water as far as the Jewish nation being called Israel in the Middle East. In the same matter, there are many Old Testament passages referring to Israel that are in the New Testament applied to directly to the church spoken to Israel. And it shall come to pass, after that I will pour out my spirit on all the flesh, your sons and daughters shall pro- prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and also on my maid- manservants and my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in heavens, uh, in the heavens and, and the earth, blood and fire and pillar and of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance as the Lord has said among the remnant whom the Lord called. Joel uh, two twenty-eight 28-28 Thirty-two. Then, of course, this is going to go to applied to the church. And when the days of Pentecost came, had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel: "It should come to pass in the last days," saith the Lord, "that I will pour out my spirit unto all flesh." Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dream dreams, and uh, on my main servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. and I will show wonders in heavens above, and signs in the earth beneath, the blood and the fire and the vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that who, whoever called on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Acts 2, 1, and verses 16 through 21. <clears throat> Spoke to Israel, And you shall be to me a, king, a kingdom of a priests and a holy nation, and there are words which you shall speak to the children of Israel, Exodus 19:6. applied to the church. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the, his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9. Spoken to Israel. My Tabernacle also shall be with them, indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people ezekiel thirty seven twenty seven applied to the church and what and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people Second Corinthians. Six sixteen. Yeah, I guess there's no need for another third temple, huh? In Jerusalem, near the temple. Spoken to Israel. Speak all the congregations of the children of Israel, and say to them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And looks like Leviticus nineteen two, apply to the church, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter one fifteen, sixteen. 16. Spoken to Israel, Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judea. Jeremiah thirty one thirty one applied to the church. Likewise, he also took up the cup after supper, saying, This cup is in the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you, Luke 22:20. 20. The new covenant is particularly problematic for the dispensationalists. As Jeremiah 31 is undeniably addressed the, to Israel, the new covenant is the very heart of the gospel. Yet if the church is fulfilling the promise given to Israel under the new covenant, dispensationalism is dead. Ryrie, in his early writings, makes this significant statement. If the church does not have if the church does not have a new covenant, then she is fulfilling Israel's promises. For it has been clearly shown that the Old Testament teachings of the on the new covenant is that it is for Israel. If the church is fulfilling Israel's promises as contained in the new covenant or anywhere else in scriptures, then the dispensational premillennialism is condemned. One might well ask why there are two aspects to one new covenant. This is the position held by many premillennialists, but we agree that the amillennialist has ever right to say of this view that it is a uh, practical admission that the New Covenant is fulfilled in and to the Church. Dispensationalism has used various arguments to get around uh, this insurmountable problem. Perhaps the boldest was the concept of two New Covenants. Chaffer appears to be the originator of the idea. There remains to be recognized a heavenly covenant for the heavenly people, which is also styled like the preceding one for Israel, a new covenant. It is made in the blood of Christ. Then he says, uh, Mark fourteen twenty four. 24, it continues in effect throughout this age, whereas a new covenant made with Israel happens to be future in its application to suppose that these two covenants... One for Israel, one for church are the same is to assume that there is a latitude of common interest between God's purpose for Israel and his purpose for the church. Consistent dispensationalists have long recognized the problem e w Bollinger notes noted that the cup of the Lord's Supper was indeed the new covenant of jeremiah thirty one verses 31-33, through 33, directed to Israel and not to the church. And for that very reason, the mystery church should not be administered to it. Modern, inconsistent dispensationalists not understand the sacrament, but still desiring to preserve their memorial, sought to maneuver out of this predicament. John F. Wolvard who became the president of the Dallas Theological Seminary and who appears to be the leading contemporary champion of the second new covenant rights? <clears throat> the point of view that holds the t- two, two covenants in the present age has certain advantages. It provides a sensible reason for establishing the Lord's Supper for believers in, the, in this age and Commemoration of the blood of the new covenant. The language in First Corinthians, length twenty-five, seems to require it. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. It is hardly seems reasonable to expect Christians to distinguish between a cup and a new covenant when these appear to be identified in this passage. In Second Corinthians three six, Paul is speaking of himself, states, our sufficiency is of Christ, who is of God, excuse me, who also made us uh, sufficient as ministers of the New Covenant. It would be difficult to adjust the ministry of Paul as a minister of the New Covenant if, in fact, there is no New Covenant for the present age. Mm-hmm. Oldvard, discussing the epistle of the Hebrews, contrasts the Mosaic Old Covenant, the New Covenant, and his novel Better Covenant, so it's his novel Better Covenant, the identification of the New Covenant, which replaces the Old Covenant, would seem to be certain, to be certain by the lengthy quotations from Jeremiah 31, which the epistles contain, and thus it is with. Some astonishment that one reads Woodward's Wood, Denial. The Epistle to the Hebrews, by its title, is addressed to the Jewish people. This epistle is planned to show that Christ and the Christian doctrine supersedes Moses in the Mosaic Covenant. The argument in Hebrews 8 proceeds on the revelation that. Christ is mediator of a better covenant than Moses, established on a better promise. At this point, the writer shows that the Mosaic covenant was never intended to be eternal. In contrast to other Jewish covenants, the Old Testament itself anticipated the day of its passing. To prove this point, the passage from Jeremiah on the New Covenant is quoted in Hebrews 8, verse 8-12. There is no appeal at all, to this content of the new covenant with Israel as being identical with the better covenant of which He speaks, the very absence of such an appeal is as strong as any argument for the silence can be. <laughs> what a bsor man! I tell you what, <clears throat> dispensationalists determined to cling to, to their false distinction between Israel and the church are forced to abandon the new covenant's application in any real sense to the church. Albertus Piter, Piter's, however, representing non-dispensational commentators in general, explains, this is entirely correct that Israel is meant in Jeremiah 31, and it is To the house of Israel that the fulfillment came, the objection arises from the failure to perceive that the Christian church in its origin was an Israelitish body, full qualified to claim the promises made to Israel. The Christian church, once having been established, many Gentiles came into it. But that did not make it a church from among the Gentiles any more than the naturalization of many Italians in our country makes it a nation from among the Italians. They were all Israelite members of the old covenant people of God to whom the promise had been made strictly in line with the promise and with the prevailing principle of the covenant history. To them, the believing remnant, the promise of the new covenant was fulfilled. That promise was to the house of Israel, the house of Judea, and and to the designated parties, the fulfillment came. To all who were in the sight of God according to a just interpretation of history, still worthy of the name Israel and Judea. In all this, are we spiritualizing the prophecy as some allege? Not at all. Matt Slick. You might be pretty good, Matt Slick, at teaching the Trinity, but you are, it's clearly got some serious issues. Anyways, that's the reason why I can't support Calvinists. I might be good at explaining the Trinity, but I'm not very good about much than anything else, so I have to tell you that. I mean, Maybe I'm wrong about that, but so far... I've just... <clears throat> I have not been impressed with it. Okay. Strictly in line with the promise of the prevailing principle of the new covenant history, and to them believing remnant, the promise of the new covenant was fulfilled. That promise was to the house of Israel, the house of Judea, and the, the designated parties of the fulfillment came to all who were in the sight of God according to a just interpretation of history still worthy of the name Ezra Judea in all this we are in all this are we spiritualizing the prophecy as some allege not at all <clears throat> We are stating a historical fact clearly contained in the sacred records that in in about the spring of the year uh, 30 AD, the mass of those who then called themselves Israelites ceased to be such a prophetic and covenant purpose, having forfeited their citizenship into the commonwealth of Israel by refusing to accept the Messiah, that after this event all the privileges of the Abrahamic covenant and all the promises of God belong to the believing remnant and to them only which remnant was therefore and thereafter the true Israel in Judea the seed of Abraham the Christian church thus the promise was fulfilled strictly and definitely to the designated parties Well folks, that was a heck of a lot of, that was a heck of a study and I um uh encouraged people to really listen to this and listen to it over. I know it was a long study, but you know what? It's got to get beaten into you why this future dispensationalism is so apostate, how it's unbiblical, and what's going on in Israel is unbiblical. And there's no way at all if you're one of God's children, one of God's true children, to be supporting such a satanic, evil system that's going on over there. You cannot accept it. You just need, we have to get back to our roots. And it's quite tragic to see how the even the Baptist Church has been compl- has been polluted. It's become a pseudo Christian cult, and it doesn't make me happy to say that at all. For oh boy, how oh, I wish it was not so. And as far as this replacement theology that guys like Matt Slick try to knock down and try to to suggest that that's what it's all about. Sorry, it's not a replacement theology. There has never, you know, there's only been one covenant. That's with God's people who believe those believers and followers of Jesus Christ. That's the covenant. There's not two covenants going on today, folks. And there's a very much a satanic agenda going on over the Middle East. And they had these people, they call themselves Jewish, even though 93% of them don't have an ounce of Jewish blood in them. Therefore, they had no legal right to anything that they say they claim they have a right to. You have no business supporting them. And through this dispensationalism and this corruption of churches like the Baptist Church and so many others, it's helped to stimulate this Christian Zionism, the Zionist movement, and the creation of the illegitimate state of Israel. And has caused now millions of people to die. And if you listen to this, if you do listen to this, and you do actually listen to the video that I had in the middle of this recording, you would realize that there are thousands of innocent children that have done nothing wrong God's creation. We all share the same blood that are being killed. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Nazi Germany that's going on there. You know what it reminds me? Maybe of this country. It's early history. But the Native Americans. You find
1: that acceptable, do you? All I can say is
0: God have mercy on you and your children. When these satanic, the satanic system, the synagogue of Satan turns on you. And don't think
1: it won't. Like a bunch of vipers that they are.
0: Does that sound like I'm anti-Semitic? Sorry, I'm not. Because the true Semites are the ones that call Palestine. Palestine. The Palestinians. Oh, by the way, a bunch of them are actually Christian. Being slaughtered.
1: Persecuted. Killed. But you'll listen to your blind
0: leaders. The blind leading the blind. Because you know what? Who cares anyways, right? Who cares about the truth? The way the truth in life, who cares about it, huh? Because as long as we get what we want. We should be all ashamed of ourselves. Anybody that calls themselves a... Um, how do I say this? Cause I, we shouldn't be ashamed of those... Those of us who truly believe in Jesus Christ, we have no reason to be ashamed. But we should be ashamed to be associated with those who call themselves Christians and are not even close to being it. Or associated with the synagogue of Satan are being associated with the son of perdition.
1: The little horn of Daniel. The papacy.
0: What the heck happened to this? What happened to the church? Yeah, I know about the Conor Reformation. I know about the Jesuits. But at the end of
1: the day, what happened to the church?
0: You should all be doing this. You know that? You all should be having a show on TalkShoe and doing this and just flooding the airways. Speaking the gospel, speaking the truth, sharing something.
1: a, a, A turd like me has to
0: do it. Good grief. I'm not condemning the people listening to this. I hope you don't take it the wrong way. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying it's just really frustrating to see this happening and how few
1: people care about it. Thanks for those who download, those who
0: listen. And God bless you. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, my brother's really sick, so if you can send some prayers his way, he's not feeling good, so he has to. I pray for him, and I'm asking others to pray for him as well. Okay,
1: God bless and take care.